Good morning, everyone. It's good to be back here with you guys. Uh, if you could turn in your Bibles to Malachi chapter 2, I'm going to read the first nine verses from uh, that chapter. And if you're looking in your pew Bibles this morning, that's on page 801. That's uh, Malachi chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring, and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So, you, uh, so shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of the priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from, from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. This is the word of the Lord. Well, um, I expect that you're probably as excited as I am about this Thanksgiving week. I hope you can enjoy some, some time off and spend some quality time with your family. Apple pie, turkey, football, hunting, naps. These are all gracious gifts from God. And he gives them to us for our enjoyment and for his glory. So let's just partake in everything that he has for us this week with, with great joy and with much gratitude. And here's a little tip for you. If you're having trouble getting into a Thanksgiving frame of mind this Thanksgiving, um, let me suggest that you think about what you have in light of what you deserve. Now, if you want to remain in a state of discontent, just keep thinking about what you, what you have in light of, say, what you don't have. Or think about what you have in light of what you want, in light of your desires. That's typically how we read the, the Black Friday sales papers, right? We focus on what we don't have. We focus on what we would really, really want. But that's a recipe for disaster. That's a recipe for discontent. If, on the other hand, you want to be a, a truly thankful person, then you should evaluate everything that you enjoy in the light of what you truly deserve. Now, of course, this, this requires that we would have the right and accurate understanding of what it is that we deserve. And uh, I remember having a eureka moment along these lines. It was about 15 years ago. I was on a mission trip in Brazil, 
and it, it was the last day of that trip, so we were doing the tourist thing, and we were going through markets looking for souvenirs, and um, I had my eye on this Brazilian national soccer team jersey. You know, I, I love uh, that team, and uh, I thought, man, I, I'd love to have a, a soccer jersey, but I was hemming and hawing about it because, well, I was wondering if it would be a really wise purchase because it's obviously a knockoff, right? And it's totally overpriced. And at 30 year, years old, I, I didn't really have the body of a football player. It didn't look all that flattering. Anyways, one of the Brazilian ladies that was on the team, um, she was with me and she said, go for it, Dave. You deserve it. And of course, that was not the first time that I had heard those kind of words, you deserve it. You know, McDonald's has been telling me that for a long time and <laughs> Kit Kat and that sort of thing. But that was the first time that it really hit me in, a, in, a, in an abrasive kind of a way. Okay, I, I, it's the first time I really realized how terrible those words are. That lady, nothing against her, she was extraordinarily sweet. But it, for me, it was a real get thee behind me, Satan moment. Because what I actually deserve is hell. And it struck me in that moment. I deserve hell, not a Brazilian soccer jersey. Now these days, there, there's a lot of confusion between privileges and entitlements. You know, between gifts and desserts. And... I think that's one of the main reasons why Thanksgiving has fallen on such hard times. It's because we believe that we're entitled to, I don't know, clean air and water and health care and education and a free or reduced lunch. You know, we're, to, we're told that access to the internet is a basic human right, for goodness sake. So, so when you get those things, you know, it doesn't make sense to be thankful the appropriate response when, when you receive something that you think that you're entitled to is more like, you're darn tootin'. It's about time. It's never, oh, thank you. Now, I'm describing two Thanksgiving killers. Okay, When we focus on what we imagine we deserve and when we forget about what we truly deserve. When I say... I deserve hell. That's not me, you know, just being super spiritual. That's not me being morbid or puritanical. That's me prepping for Thanksgiving. Okay, it means that every single thing that I am blessed with, instead of hell, is a gift of pure grace. Something for which I ought to pour out my thanks and praise to God and never cease to praise him. This is not going to be a Thanksgiving sermon, per se. That was all just bonus. But I expect that this sermon will serve to remind us what it is that we truly deserve as covenant corruptors. And against that backdrop, we'll get to see, I think, more brightly the grace of God that is ours in Christ. And so we're going to just try to set the table for thanksgiving, if you will. And so we come to Malachi chapter 2. It's, uh, we've entered into a season here 
Advent season and uh, therefore a new sermon series. And we've come now to Malachi chapter 2. It's important to recognize that this passage is connected to the one that we looked at last week. So verse 1 here begins, and now, and that, that indicates that whatever's coming is going to follow hot on the heels of what has come before. And you'll recall that what has come before is the grievance that God has aired in the second half of chapter 1. And it has to do with people's lame liturgy. That's what we called it, their lame liturgy. That's God's complaint. But the group that Malachi mostly addresses in this section are the priests. And th because the, the problem of lame liturgy can be, actually it can be traced all the way back to their religious leaders, the ministers who were tasked in leading them in worship. And you know, both, both holiness and irreverence, they seem to have a trickle-down effect. And this is why the Apostle Paul uh, can, can warn the young pastor Timothy to, quote, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So Malachi gets right to the root of the problem. He goes right to the top, so to speak, and he sternly addresses the priests who are set aside to minister at this recently rebuilt temple. And we want to learn what, what God through Malachi says to these priests. It'll be very instructive, I think, for us. Now, in this passage, Malachi either speaks about the attitudes of, uh, or, or he either speaks explicitly about them or he alludes to priests of three different eras, okay? Past, present, and future. And so that'll be our outline for, for this morning. We want to consider the past priests, the present priests, and the future priests. Let's look first at the past priests. But to do this, we're going to have to begin in the middle of the text. Okay, we're, we'll pull out the, the stuffing and eat it first. The good stuff is found in verses 4, really verses 4 to 7. We can focus even more narrowly into verses 5 and 7, 5 to 7. And what these verses describe are two related things, a covenant with Levi and the conduct of Levi. But right away, there's a couple of issues that we need to work through just to kind of clear the, clear the area for us. And first of all, we probably aren't aware that there, this was a covenant. This is not a, something that we think of when we think about the covenants that God has made with people. We, we're certainly aware of his covenant with Abraham, his covenant with David, his covenant with Noah, his covenant with Moses. But Levi? We don't exactly remember any details of a covenant with Levi. In fact, having studied recently through the book of Genesis, what we recall is there is nothing very special or compelling about Levi, the third-born son of Jacob. On the contrary, when it came time to bless Levi, his father had nothing good to say to him. 
It was more like a cursing. And so we, we wonder, well, where, where was this covenant made? Now, we take the Lord's word to be absolutely true. So this is, forces us to go back to see uh, where this covenant may possibly have been enacted. And there are a couple of main possibilities, but one of them is found in Numbers chapter 25. And, uh, and actually, this is, that is a very similar context to Malachi's. It was a time when the Israelites engaged in wicked worship. It wasn't just lame, it was wicked. They had yoked themselves to a false god, Baal of Peor. And that involved a whole lot of idolatry, and it involved a whole lot of sin that the Lord God had prohibited. They were intermarrying with the Midianites. They were engaging in sexual immorality, and they were doing so as part of their worship service. Now, because of Israel's wickedness in this matter, the Lord God had sent a plague. And while Israel was weeping over this recent development, one dude had the audacity to take a Midianite woman and to lie with her in plain sight of the people. And this is, based, this is just a flagrant sin. This is like a, a middle finger to the righteous requirements of God. And so one man who was spiritually sensitive, a man by the name of Phineas, the grandson of Aaron the the priest, he got up from the congregation and he took a spear and he drove it right through the man and the woman, pinning them both to the ground. And in that moment, the plague against the people stopped. And God said to Moses in number 20, Numbers 25, verses 10 and following, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them. So I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore, say, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and to his descendants after him the covenant of perpetual priesthood, because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. I don't know exactly but that may very well be the origin of this covenant with Levi that Malachi is referring to. In both places, it's called a covenant of peace, and it's a covenant that is made clearly in reference to a priesthood. But here, it's called a covenant with Levi, whereas there, wouldn't have that been better called a covenant with Phineas? And I think what's happening there's, there's all kinds of things that I could uh, say and perhaps bore you with. But I think to get to, to the root of it, I think what's happening here is that when we read the name Levi in our text, we shouldn't think of a specific person. We shouldn't think of that, you know, third-born son of Jacob. Instead, we should think of that name as representative of the family of priests that the Lord set apart to serve him. So when these verses talk about Levi, I think that, that is, it's best to take that as describing either this family of priests or, I think more accurately, a prototypical priest. 
a, a Levi, in other words, stands as the pattern for priests. So let's learn a few things about this covenant with Levi. Let's see first the basis of the covenant. And you can see this at the end of verse 5. Text says, God says, it was a covenant of fear. And he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. You can see the, the conduct of Phineas, and even before him, you can see the conduct of Aaron and the Levites who, who slew their countrymen and even their family members after the golden calf incident. They did these things. They acted this way because of a holy fear of God and a jealousy for his holiness and for his reputation. And the point is, to minister on behalf of the Lord requires a deep reverence and fear, a holy fear, an awe that leaves you not just shaking in your boots, but adoring as you tremble. Now, if you're planning to uh, deep fry a turkey this Thanksgiving, you, you're going to do well to pay attention to all of the warnings that came with your turkey fryer. Okay, pay, pay attention to all of the um, public service announcements that you'll see on Facebook. Uh, pay attention to all the cautionary tales that you'll see on YouTube of people that didn't follow this advice. You don't just drop a cold, wet 20-pounder in a vat of boiling hot oil. Okay? That'll spell disaster. And it spells disaster in thousands of households every Thanksgiving. And the same thing, not the same thing, the same goes for the Lord. You, you don't just waltz into his presence and do or say whatever you want. He is so holy. God is so righteous. He is so just that his anger may just boil against you. And you might be consumed in his wrath. Do you know who you're dealing with? Well, his priests do, or his priests should. The basis for this covenant is fear. Now, what is the blessing of this covenant with Levi? All covenants come with blessings and curses, blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. And the blessings are spelled out at the beginning of verse 5. It says, the covenant with Levi was one of peace and life. Those are the blessings associated with this covenant. If you're, going to be, if you're faithful to this covenant, then God says he's going to give you peace and life. And he did give them. That's what's reported in the text. Peace and life. Thankful that Rob got us thinking about these things already this morning. Can there be any blessings greater than those two? peace. You know, that's not just what you're going to be craving Thursday afternoon after your aunt has gone on for three hours about Bill Gates and the Rothschilds and all of the reasons why the earth is actually flat. No, peace, peace is what we're always craving. Peace with God, most fundamentally, even if we can't articulate that, that's what we crave. And then peace with our fellow man. At that time, we're, we're when we think about peace, we're, 
and what we're, what we're actually craving for is a time when everything is going to be fixed, when everything is going to be right and whole and harmonious, peace and life. What we really want is for that state of affairs to never cease. There's something deep within every one of us that yearns for eternal life. We resist death with all of our being, don't we? Well, peace and life, the very things that we so desperately want, are promised blessings to those who fear him and who minister on his behalf. Now let's look thirdly, under this first point, at the behavior of the covenant. We've seen the basis, we've seen the blessing, but what about the behavior that's required of priests? Malachi makes it very easy for us, I think. And there's, basic, there's two basic responsibilities, okay? Walking and talking. I say basic. There's a town in Ontario, just on the other side of Niagara Falls, called St. Catharines. It's the home of one of the greatest goalies the NHL has ever seen, Jerry Cheevers. It's also home to Brock University, and that's an institution that is notoriously easy to get into. Okay, the saying goes, if you can walk and talk, you can go to Brock. And the joke works because that includes pretty much everybody because walking and talking are pretty common, pretty basic. But here's what's not so common. The kind of behavior that characterized past priests, because we're talking about walking with God and talking for God. Look at the middle of verse 6. He walked with me in peace and uprightness. The Lord God through Malachi is describing something that is actually very rare in scripture. Only a few people are described as walking with God. You've got Adam pre-fall, you've got Noah and Enoch, and now Levi. Or as we're talking about him, a, a prototypical priest. To walk with God is to, is to be on his page. It's to be keeping pace with him. It's to, it means to have unbroken fellowship with him. To enjoy this peace that he gives as a blessing in real time with him. And the only way that this is possible is if we share in his holiness and his uprightness. For, for indeed, what fellowship can light have with the darkness? What, what fellowship is there between righteousness and unrighteousness? It just doesn't even work. If you're going to walk with the Lord, it de the demand is that you would be upright. And it's crucial that those who would ever dare to minister on the Lord's behalf, before they speak on the Lord's behalf, it's crucial that they are beside the Lord, that they are walking with him in integrity and in fellowship. But then the Lord's priests must speak. They serve as, quote, messengers of the Lord of hosts. You can read that at the end of verse 7. Messenger, by the way, being a key word in the book of Malachi. Malachi means messenger. 
So prophets are messengers, and now we're learning priests are messengers. And take note of this, please, because there's going to be more messengers coming. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips, verse 6 tells us. And, and then the explanation in verse 7, for the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and the people should seek instruction from his mouth. He's a messenger. And so we, from this we understand that one of the main functions of the priest was to instruct the people by speaking to them the very word of God. You know, the minister is not free to just kind of speak his own mind or communicate his own ideas. No, his calling is to communicate the word of God alone. This is the truth that needs to be on his lips because that is the only truth that can save people and can sanctify people. His word is truth. And look at the result of all of this. When, when the past priests would give instruction in the truth, look at the end of verse 6. He turned many from iniquity. In other words, the, the faithful walking and the faithful talking of priests in the past had a trickle-down effect. Um, to the people that were under their care. They, they, they were turned from their iniquity. They were saved from sin. Well, I suppose I need to move on. That was a picture of past priests. That, that was a little something on th this covenant with Levi about its basis, fear, about its blessing, life and peace, about its behavior, walking and talking that's that's just a a little bit of info but let's look next and and let's see by contrast secondly the present priests now i imagine that some of you are going to do some cooking or baking this week i'm not i you wouldn't want me to i know almost nothing about baking but here's what I do know. You should use a cookbook instead of looking up recipes online. Because if you're looking up a recipe on the internet, before you actually get to the directions, you're going to have to read through the, the person's whole life story. And then you're going to have to like scroll past a bunch of pop-up ads. It's just, it's a nightmare. Just... Take it from me, and I know almost nothing, but I know this. Just go to Goodwill and get one of those old plaid-covered cookbooks. They, those never steer you wrong. But you might find cookbooks frustrating too. I don't know. Mainly because at the top of each recipe, there, there's a picture of what the finished product should look like. And it's always pristine, and it's always just perfect. Okay, so, so say you're making a pumpkin pie and you follow the recipe as best as you can, but when the timer goes off and you, and you pull the pie out of the oven, most of the time it looks nothing like the picture. You know, their, theirs is flawless and yours has a huge crater down the middle of it, okay? And your crust is a lot darker. You, people might even say black, 
and it looks like it was pinched by the victim of two separate bandsaw accidents. It's going to take a lot of whipped cream to cover over those sins, to salvage the thing. Now that's very much what's going on in our passage today. We've got a picture of a perfect priesthood described in verses 4 to 7. And right beside that, actually on either side of that, verses 1 to 3, verses 8 to 9, you've got a picture of the present priesthood, and it looks terrible by comparison. And to see this, all we have to do is compare the features. We saw that the basis for the covenant with Levi is fear. So how do the present-day priests compare? Verse 1, they don't give honor to his name. Now, if you're wondering, how do they not give honor to his name? I would refer you back to chapter 1, where that very question, with that very tone, is, is answered in detail. But, but this, is, this is the deal. They're not honoring. They're not fearing. We, we've seen... Also, that the required behavior of a priest inv involves walking and talking. So let's just see how these present priests walked and talked. As to their walking, the Lord God says in verse 8, you have turned aside from my way. In verse 9, you do not keep my ways. It's, li it's like when you're walking through the woods with a hunting buddy, right? You don't exactly follow his footsteps right behind him in his footsteps because that's not really manly you know you instead he walks this way around the tree so you walk the other way around the tree he he takes one path through heavy brush and you take a slightly different path but before long if you're not if you're not too careful and if you're especially wanting to be independent you can become separated from your buddy you can look up and without even realizing it, he's far away from you. You can see him, but there might be a deep ravine between you or some brush that there's no way that you can pass. And somewhere along the line, this is what's happened with the priesthood. In the past, these people walked with God, but now they've not kept that path. They've not kept his ways. And they're actually very far and separate from him. What about their talk? Well, they haven't guarded knowledge. Their instruction is not the truth of God's word, but it's lies. Moreover, they've tailored their message to, to suit their audience. Various, they, they like to tailor the, the message to suit various audiences. That's really the last complaint that's mentioned here in the passage at the end of verse 9. They've been showing partiality in their instruction. So they've been heaping up the commands probably for those who are poor and of no repute. But they've really softened things and made things quite easy for the wealthy and, and for the well-connected. And what's the result? Look at verse 8. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. So the, the teaching of these present priests, rather than having the effect of turning people from their iniquity, is actually leading people into iniquity and into stumbling. You, 
you may recall that Jesus reserved his strongest of condemnations on people that would do this sort of thing to someone else, especially to those who are vulnerable. To lead them into sin, Jesus says it would be better if that person had concrete shoes and went swimming with the fishes. Now, the, the present priests, here's the bottom line, they've corrupted the covenant. On every level of comparison, they're doing exactly the opposite of what God intended. And so there's consequences. We've, we've said that there are blessings and curses attached to covenants. Well, just as keeping the covenant leads to life and peace, corrupting the covenant leads to curses. And in the case of the priests in Malachi's day, those curses have already started. And they're going to come in full measure unless they take these words to heart and repent and return. But we do get a taste, literally, of what those curses will be in verse 3. First, the Lord through Malachi says, I will rebuke your offerings. And you know that priests offer sacrifices on behalf of the people to, to make atonement for their sins. And the idea is that the smoke of those offerings are, are to rise to heaven and that the Lord would find them pleasing and acceptable. Well, if you just kind of picture the priests as basketball players, and if you picture these offerings as kind of layups, then the curse, as it's described in these verses, is as if the Lord was Dikembe Mutombo, okay, who just jumps up and swats the, the basketball down, the offering ball, smacks it out of the air as it's rising and does the old finger wag. Like, not in my house. I, I rebuke your offerings. Rejection. That, that's level one of the curse. And if that's not humiliating enough, trust me, it's humiliating to get rejected. In basketball, I, I was on the receiving end of a lot of those sorts of things. But then to, be, to have your offering for sin rejected by God, that's bad enough. But then consider the rest of the curse and the rest of the verse. And I will spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. Now this is just boilerplate slapstick comedy. You know, we laugh at the guy who's jogging down stagecoach road and trips and falls face first into a pile of horse plop. But being, you know, being a priest is a, a high and a noble calling. But, but there's, not, there's some not so dignified parts of the job, okay? You know, when you're dealing with lots of animals for sacrifice, it's inevitable that you're going to have to deal with a lot of dung you know you're gonna have to shovel up some accidents you're gonna have to remove some giblets and take them outside of the temple precincts and 
put them onto a nasty dung heap. So here's the curse for covenant corruptors. The Lord is going to take some of that nastiness and wipe their faces in it. And the Lord is going to cause them to be so debased and humiliated in the eyes of man. You can, you can see that's what's motivating them. If it, this, is why they would, this is why they would show partiality in their instruction is because they want to be honored among men. They want people to like them. But God says, no, the curse is you're going to be debased and humiliated in the eyes of man because you have dishonored and debased me and my name in the eyes of man. Ultimately, the priests themselves, the Lord God says, ultimately you yourselves are going to be carried outside of the camp like a steaming pile of excrement. This is the word of God. I'm not making this stuff up. This is the curse for, for those that would engage in this sort of priestly activity. So there you have it. The present versus the past. Okay, you've got two pictures of the pie. You've got the, the Betty Crocker cookbook photo of the priesthood. And then you've got the actual version, fresh out of the overheated oven. And the question, I guess, in conclusion is, which one of those pictures resembles you? You might say, Pastor, I'm not a priest. I'm not a minister. I didn't think you were talking to me. I thought you were talking to uh, religious leaders. Yes, but consider the trickle-down effect. The, these pictures describe people, too. And which of them describes you? If we were brutally honest with ourselves, we, we would say, that's me. I'm, I'm the burnt one with the, with the deep crevasse in the middle of it. You know, left to ourselves, we are people who have not honored the name of the Lord. We have not feared him. Neither have we walked with him. No, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And what's more, his truth has not been on our lips. We've exchanged that truth for a lie. We, that's what's been on our lips. We've preferred the lie and falsehood. And consequently, we have failed to turn from our iniquity. We, we are covenant corruptors at the end of the day. And therefore, we're entitled to absolutely none of his blessings. No peace, no life, only death. We're fit only for the dung heap. We are worthless servants who are destined to one day be cast in the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Friends, what I'm trying to say is that the only thing you and I deserve is hell. Well, that's the end of the passage. But I, I can't exactly leave things there. So for a few minutes, will you consider with me the possibility of a future priest? 
you know, we're a little suspicious of those pictures in those recipe books. They're almost too perfect. You know, they're, we've never seen anything like that in real life. Th those have to be staged. And when we read this description of Levi, or the prototypical priest in verses 4 to 7, we know that, that that's, what, that's not what it looks like. It doesn't look like us. But it also doesn't bear any kind of resemblance to Levi or even to Phineas or any other past priests that we've ever read about. Yeah, there's, there's some good and commendable things about them, but is this really how th what described their whole lives? Could there ever be a priest like this, we wonder? Could there ever be someone who feared God always and, and stood in awe of his name? Is there, is there ever any priest who had true instruction in his mouth and, and where no wrong was ever found in his, on his lips? No wrong. Not even a slip up. Is there any priest who's ever walked with God in peace and uprightness? Is there any priest that has ever turned people from their iniquity where could be found such a messenger from the Lord of hosts well God's message through Malachi is I've got such a man I will send you such a messenger and he will purify the sons of Levi and he will refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. The, the amazing thing is that, that this priest is going to accomplish this by taking our shame and our guilt. He's going to be the one that's despised and abased before people. He's going to be the one that's going to be carried outside of the camp and cast into outer darkness. He's the one who is, in a, in a way, much greater than Phineas. He's the one that's going to make full atonement for his people and, and turn us from iniquity. On the cross, Jesus will endure all of the curses of the covenant that we have corrupted so that we can enjoy the blessings of life and peace, peace with God and eternal life with him. It's all because of him. That's what we get. As the writer to the Hebrews argues, now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek? And these are obviously rhetorical questions. There was no perfection. And so we need another priest. And friends, I declare to you today that Jesus Christ is that great high priest who comes in the order of Melchizedek. And our passage today may have sounded quite bleak, all that talk of cursing and dung, but don't miss the gracious invitation that is extended throughout, whether that is extended Im implicitly all throughout 
or explicitly in certain places where God says through Malachi, listen, take these things to heart, lay them to heart, turn from your iniquity. And so friends, I offer you the same invitation today. If you're here in this place and up until today you have insisted on doing your own thing and going your own way, I implore you to repent. Turn from your sin and trust Jesus. Put all of your hope and trust in this great high priest. He lived and died and was raised again so that you can have life and peace with God. Believe on him today. If you want to know more about how you can turn from your sin and repent and trust Christ, then there's going to be some friends up here on the front pew um, you can come up here and visit with them after the service and they would love to show you the Lord Jesus Christ and show you how you can be saved today. And today, if you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, here's something that you should know about yourselves and about all of us together. Peter, he picks up on God's promise in Exodus 19 and he says that we are, quote, a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You thought this was all about ministers and priests and religious professionals? Friends, we're a kingdom of priests. You're a priest. And if you're a priest, then you are a messenger. And you have the holy calling of walking and talking, of sharing with every person that you come across the grace and the goodness and the glory of your God and of your great high priest. So let's just go with all kinds of joy and hope into this Thanksgiving week with these precious truths on our lips. Amen? Amen. Amen.